This podcast contains adult themes and content that some listeners may find distressing. Listener discretion is advised. To celebrate Red Rum's one-year anniversary, we are releasing a different kind of episode. This is a Patreon episode that is a series of cases about artists who died for their art. This episode was available for our $9 and up Patreons, but at the minute we're only doing $2 and $6 tiers, which means this episode has only ever been heard by about four people, and we wanted to share it with all of our listeners. As always, it's a storytelling episode told by me about true stories that changed the lives of those affected forever. This episode also features Russ, our co-producer and audio engineer. And now, on with the show. So, today we're going to talk about a couple of um, really weird, really tragic events that happened to artists or creatives whilst they were doing their job. So this is the one that you kind of suggested. Oh yeah, it was my idea. It was your idea. Great. So if it fails, it's your fault. Uh, so I've got three <laughs> stories to tell you and all are about people working in TV or film and they all happened over the last couple of years. Um, do you know the Resident Evil franchise? Yes. Yes, great. I didn't. I, I'd heard of it, but I don't know it. I'm of the age that played the computer games <laughs> the, the first time round. Oh, so wow. let's just leave that there. Okay. Yeah. So this story is about the final chapter which is the sixth film in the franchise. Uh, It was released at the very end of 2016 and started filming on the 18th of September 2015. The film had a budget of $40 million and it ended up making $312 million after its worldwide release. So super profitable, which is interesting considering some of the points of this story that we'll get to. Mm, Intrigued. Um, So for our listeners, whether you've seen the film or not, you may well be aware of the nature of Resident Evil films. They're sort of action-packed. There's a lot going on. And because of this, they often require a shit ton of stunting. So that means that employing loads of crew members is essential. And they also have to obviously employ some really skilled stunt doubles. There was a lot of buzz around this film. Uh, the original Resident Evil concept came from a Japanese video game series called Biohazard. Is that the one that you played? Or was yours called Resident mm, Evil? Maybe it was called Resident Evil Biohazard or something. Mm, something fancy. Because the game was called Resident Evil and then they had a franchise at Resident Evil 1, 2, 3 and all that sort of thing. And mm. then the film came out. Um, so the films have made over $1 billion worldwide, so it is a huge business. They know what they're doing, basically. Yeah. The stunt cast and crew were called to start briefing early one morning in September 2015 in Pretoria, one of South Africa's three capital cities. So the cast and crew gathered on a disused stretch of dual carriageway to the west of Pretoria. This location had been dressed over the previous uh, few days to have car wreckage strewn alongside the side of the highway. The lead actor, Mila Jovovich, uh, her stunt double, a woman called Olivia Jackson, was informed that there would be a change to the day and the stunts would um, be shifted because the weather that day wasn't great. So the the director wanted to shoot something else. So Olivia would be travelling at high speed towards a Mercedes SUV 
which would be driving straight towards her. The Mercedes SUV would have a mechanical arm attached to it at like a right angle uh, with a camera mounted to it. The camera would track Olivia on the motorbike and then it would be raised upwards at the last minute and catch the stunt underneath it. And this was all happening at a speed of 70 miles per hour, but they're also going towards each other. Right. At 70 miles an hour. God. Yeah. Olivia came out of hair and costume and headed towards the main lot and mounted the bike. For the stunt, she wasn't going to be wearing a helmet. Olivia got the go-ahead and began to brace herself at the start point. The bike was ready, she was ready, and she began. She rode the bike well and accurately, getting up to the agreed maximum speed of 70 miles an hour before seeing the Mercedes SUV pass her. And the camera at this point was well above where it needed to be, which was planned on the first try and it's what they call a dry run, like a rehearsal. The next run, which was called a rehearsal run, went in much the same way, but this time the arm with the camera attached to it was placed downwards, taking a low-level shot. So they've kind of got two, the mm. two positions. And then for the final one, they're going to do like the main one. The next run, which would be the shot where everything went as planned, including the mechanical arm lifting mid-shot to capture the big stunt shot over the top of Olivia on the bike, was ready to start. So just ahead of that shot, Olivia was unaware that the operator had changed his starting position slightly, as well as being instructed by the director to lift the mechanical arm one second later. The operation of moving the mechanical arm was performed by judgment rather than a mathematical accuracy. Um, Obviously, when you have stunts of this kind happening at 70 miles an hour, Mm. human judgment would be kind of an impossible way to safeguard. Mm, Too many variables. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, Our minds don't work that quickly. Also, the one-second change requested by the director actually accounted to a distance of 105 feet. Obviously, it's massive because of the speed they're travelling at. I obviously never worked on a production of this scale with this kind of team, so I have no idea who's actually responsible for okaying those decisions, but I'd assume, and we'll talk about this a bit more in a minute, but I would assume it would be the operating company for the mechanical arm. As a result of this change of both distance and time the Mercedes sped towards the motorbike and as Olivia reached her maximum agreed speed of 70 miles an hour she noticed the camera arm attached to the Mercedes hadn't quite lifted up by the time she realized this it was too late the camera sliced into Olivia's arm completely shattering the bone before tearing her cheek flesh away from her face exposing her teeth The impact actually caused her shoulder blade to twist backwards and caused a rip in five of her nerves connected to her spinal column. She also gained a number of fractures to her spine, ribs, humerus and eye socket, as well as her thumb being torn off her hand completely. Olivia was completely knocked off of her bike and fell unconscious. She was rushed to hospital and put in an induced coma, but had a swollen brain as well as a bleed on the brain. Um, However, in an incredible turn of events, I don't think anyone actually expected this to happen, but Olivia did survive. And the coming weeks and months, she was obviously in hospital in recovery. And while she was there, she learned that an artery was severed in her forearm, as well as a number of arteries ruptured in her neck. Her left arm was completely paralysed and it was decided that she should have it amputated. 
Olivia spent a total of 17 days in a coma and as a result of the injuries she suffered, she had been left with a permanently twisted spine, a permanently dislocated shoulder, broken ribs and she's paralysed in the top left side of her body and neck. Whilst recovering in hospital, two of the producers of the final chapter came to visit Olivia. They broke the devastating news that, after all she'd been through, the film only had limited insurance cover for accidents that happened on set. Isn't that mad considering how much they made and how much, it's like, the what is it, the sixth in the franchise, so they know they're going to make a shit ton of money. Yeah, yeah. And they just, they just don't care about their performers enough to get the proper insurance wow um those producers did however promise her that they would cover her lifelong medical expenses even though the producers promised that they they would cover all of those expenses was recorded it wouldn't stand up in court and olivia decided to sue the company for medical costs associated which i think is fair enough Mm mm-hmm By the time the events actually went to trial, it was revealed that Olivia's attorney had advised her to sue Bikers Action South Africa. Um, So in legal terms, they were the ones that were responsible for the accident. So they're the company that she works for? Yes. Uh, Well, they're the company... No, no, they're not. They're the company that um, they were hired to track the stunt action. So they were hired by the production team. Ah, right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And they own the like Mercedes and the mechanical arm and stuff. Um, Shockingly, during the trial, the two sort of main guys who were in question, um, they tried to argue that the accident had actually been Olivia's fault and not theirs. They said that Olivia could probably have avoided the incident if she had ridden slower and, quote, properly looked out. It was proven that Olivia had stuck to the maximum practiced and approved speed of 70 miles per hour throughout the stunt. Obviously, it wasn't her fault. The judge asked for testimony from the experts in the matter who said that, quote, it would have been virtually impossible for the motorcycle rider to have avoided the boom colliding with her under the circumstances of this incident, unquote. Olivia confirmed that she had done as instructed and done nothing differently to the rehearsal runs. The judge also concluded that Olivia was unaware that the film's director had given the driver instructions to decrease the safety margin immediately following the rehearsal. He also noted that Ronald was uninsured to make the Mercedes high-speed journey. The judge said, quote, The stunt was negligently planned and executed by the local company, Bikers Action SA, that had been operating the camera and filming vehicle, unquote. A preliminary trial of the South African High Court found that the accident itself was to be treated as an RTA or a road traffic accident. So this actually meant that the Road Accident Fund or the RAF of South Africa would be liable to compensate Olivia. This means that the two people found um, responsible initially were actually found not personally accountable or liable for their actions. And the compensation would be funded by the RAF scheme. However, given the extensive nature of Olivia's injuries, her career and her lifelong disability-related needs will be way, way more than the RAF could actually ever fund. Um, The scheme, the RAF scheme, actually has massive debt and 
delays in previously paying people. So it's unlikely she'll see even a portion of that money. The Resident Evil franchise had been the background to previous accidents on set before. In 2011, 16 background actors dressed as zombies were all on a high-wheel platform that collapsed underneath them. 12 of them were taken to hospital and suffered from leg, back and arm injuries. Obviously, we know that took place in Pretoria, that Olivia's stunt, and more and more high-profile films have moved overseas because of reduced costs, which means that regulating stunts performed can be sketchy at best. This, I think, combined with minimal insurance for stunt performers as a means of just cutting costs, means that an often life-changing injury and the medical costs associated have to be paid for by the performer themselves. It's quite incredible given the amount of money that's pumped into these films. The film reportedly had a budget of $40 million. As I said earlier, it made a ton more than that. Mm. On top of all of this, it's nearly impossible for stunt performers to work safely because of the lack of regulation. Official certification in the United States for stunt coordinators only came to the forefront of the conversation in 2018. The actual SAGAFTRA, which is the like union, I guess, um, their, their approved guidelines weren't scheduled to go into effect until 2020. These guidelines were pushed to the forefront of the conversation, not only because of Olivia's accident, but also because of two other events that happened on film sets in the previous years. One was the death of John Bernica, who, whilst working as a stunt double on the set of The Walking Dead, was involved in a fatal accident. John was born on the 2nd of March 1984 in New Orleans. He was a hard worker and by the age of 33, he had worked on over 90 productions as a stunt performer, including work on massive, massive films like The Hunger Games, Green Lantern and Logan. Obviously, all films that require, really, really heavily require stunt mm. doubles. I can't remember that. Did you watch Walking Dead? No. No. Yeah, I remember that happening, I'm sure. Really? Yeah, well, it wasn't long ago. It was 2017. Mm, okay. On the 12th of July, 2017, whilst rehearsing a fight scene where he would fall from a building standing over 20 feet high, John fell and landed a few inches away from the safety cushion. He landed on the concrete floor below and was airlifted to hospital. An attorney for the AMC network claimed that rather than falling head first over the rail and into the air, John had continued holding onto the rail with his left hand. The attorney said that this meant the fall was chained slightly and John fell downwards rather than outwards. An AMC network spokesperson issued a statement, quote, We are saddened to report that John Bernecker, a talented stuntman for The Walking Dead and numerous other television shows and films, suffered serious injuries from a tragic accident on set. He was immediately transported to Atlanta Hospital and we have temporarily shut down production. We are keeping John and his family in our thoughts and prayers. Unquote. John's family rushed to the hospital to be by his side and waited desperately for news of his recovery. Doctors informed them that he had suffered extensive brain injuries and after two days of no improvement, 
John's family made the decision to remove his life support. Following John's death, his family launched a lawsuit against AMC. A six-day trial ensued, which resulted in the AMC network being found not to be negligent in John's death, but his family was awarded a $6.8 million civil damage charge. Who pays that? Civil damages, what does that mean? Well, I don't, I don't know. The only reason I ask is because um, you said they, they didn't win. They were not... Uh, they were found not guilty. Yeah. But um, still awarded all that money. Yeah. So I was wondering, well, if they were found not guilty, they still have to award... Yeah, I actually don't know. Like, it would be a guess if I said. Mm. But I would assume either they paid it as like a... Um, we're, we're not guilty, but you could have the money. You know how sometimes they had those Alfred court. pleas? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I don't think we'd know the amount if that was the case. So it might have come from another funding body. You know how in Olivia's case, the RAF were had to pay? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Might be that, but I'm not sure. John's family attorney, Jeffrey Harris, said, quote, My sincere hope is that this verdict sends a clear message regarding the need to both elevate and strictly adhere to industry safety standards every day, on every shoot, on every film set. John's tragic and preventable death happened as a result of a series of safety-related failures. Learning from these failures will go a long way in making sure that similar tragedies do not happen to another performer or another family. Unquote. My worry is that this accident obviously happened before Olivia's accident, How is the industry allowing preventable accidents like this to happen over and over again? I understand it's a tough job and Hollywood is Hollywood. Everyone's trying to save money and make a ton. But it's this kind of thing that is literally getting people killed by cutting corners. Mm. I think there needs to be a serious rethink and a lot of investment into it and stricter guidelines and rules, I suppose. I wonder if that will change now that those, you know, those other rules I said were coming in. Yeah, often these days when something happens like that, a new health and safety law comes in, um, and in construction, um, they can't really operate in the same way that they used to, and so you like that's mm. why you get a lot of sole traders now because that it's so difficult to run a company mm. because to like paint an upstairs window, you got to put scaffolding up, and used to, people used used to do it on a ladder, and so as soon as you become liable for other people's lives, like there are laws in place to stop you as an employer. doing. So I'm, I'd be interested if that has an effect. But they must have all sorts of, um, they must have to sign stuff, uh, stunt people, stunt performers. Yeah. Stunt doubles. Stunt. <laughs> yeah, they will have to. But I guess the point is that they, whatever they must have signed, must have... Um, he didn't put all the responsibility on them because they're not in control of certain things yeah, that happen yeah. to them. So maybe that's why with Olivia's like... Because it wasn't... Like if she just fell off her bike because she made a mistake because she didn't yeah. break in time or something like that. Like me falling off my bike. Like there's yeah. no, no one to sue because it's my fault. Well, and they tried to say that, didn't they? Mm. So they tried to use that but as she a did exactly the same thing yeah. that she did in every run. So the variable was not her. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So the final stunt-related incident I want to talk to you about today happened on the set of Deadpool 2. Have you seen that film? Mm, yeah. Do you didn't know, didn't do you like know? it as much as Deadpool 1. Oh, I was the opposite, mm, I think. I, I love them both. 
Um, so for our listeners that don't know, Deadpool 2 is an American superhero film based on the Marvel comic book character Deadpool. It stars Ryan Reynolds as the lead character and it was released in 2018. The film went on to have incredible success, earning over $785 million worldwide and becoming the highest grossing film in the X-Men series. So again, like these films have so much money. They're still doing all right, aren't they? The film <laughs> industry. I mean, I know, and like we're artists, like my my sympathy is is with that, with the people that work in it. Yeah, they're still doing all right, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, the big books are with the big yeah, Hollywood yeah. people, for sure. Uh, so I saw Deadpool and loved it. And I know a lot of people who did, but I, for one, had no idea about this story. Did you? No. So Joy Harris is this this woman's name, and she was born on the 11th of December 1976 in Brooklyn, New York. She began motorcycling in 2009, and in 2013 completed thousands of hours of motorcycle training so she could become the first African-American woman licensed to compete in the American Motorcycle Association races. During her training, unfortunately, Joy suffered an injury that meant that she would have to wait until the following year to actually compete. But she was a very motivated, determined person. When talking about recovery and motorcycle accidents, she's quoted to have said, I get back out there and I go just as hard as before, like nothing ever happened. When it comes to crashing, I've learned to accept that I am not the greatest rider that exists. And there is always something to learn when on track and pushing limits. Sometimes I'm going to eat it if I'm impatient. Everything takes time. Face your fears. You never know what you could be missing out on. Unquote. Joy was an extremely skilled rider and she actually placed 11th in the combined Thunderbike 300 at the New Jersey Motorsports Park. <laughs> I spoke about that like I knew what it was, didn't I? I was convinced. <laughs> Great. Um, she'd been racing for three years professionally when she was approached to work on the film Deadpool 2. From the little I understand about motorcycle riding, uh, racing and stunting are very different jobs and do require very different skill sets. So I'm not really sure why or how this job came about. Um, but obviously you have, to, you have to start somewhere, don't you? So I don't really know. I would imagine there's um, a dearth of African-American female stunt motorbike riders. Um, yeah, I would imagine they're, well, I know they're, it's a male white dominated sport, mm. isn't it? Joy was filming the motorcycle stunt for Deadpool 2 in Vancouver, Canada. The cameras track her riding out of the open doors of a building across a concrete pad and down a ramp before coming to a stop. However, after a number of successful rehearsal takes, Joy rode the start of the stunt correctly and as planned before continuing to drive down a second ramp. It's here that she struck the curb and was thrown towards and actually went through a glass window of a nearby building. A little under 10 miles per hour, so extremely slow, but it's unknown the speed that occurred after Joy went off course. Joy was killed instantly. Immediately following Joy's death, Deadpool actors Ryan Reynolds and Zazie Beetz sent out messages of condolences to Joy's family and friends. In a subsequent out-of-court dealing, executives of the film called Joy's family attorney Michael Buckley and assured him they would deal with him directly. Michael said, quote, 
there was a whole issue of stunt driver safety. And the fact is, the people at Fox were extremely concerned about that and it drove their decision making. They were very responsible, good people, and it seemed to me that they were well aware of the issue of stunt driver safety and even seemed to be on the cutting edge of it. I was very impressed. Unquote. Joy's family received an undisclosed amount of money out of court. A number of stunt performers spoke about the fact that they were glad Joy's family received a good settlement, but raised the wider issue of this not happening again and that you can't put a price on Joy's life. She's still gone forever. I'm wondering how, like, I think these, so the, I think these, inc- I don't know, this is my opinion, but anyway, um, there's two different, because there's two different types of accident, isn't there? There's ones that are someone else's fault and there's ones that are the individual's fault. And I think if you're a stunt double, then there's an inherent amount of risk. Mm. Otherwise, the actor would do it themselves. That's a skill thing, I know. But there's a reason why they get someone else to do it and that's because there's an inherent amount of risk in, in what's involved. So there's going to be a difference, isn't there, between something that's like the fault of something on the set or like some faulty equipment or someone not risk assessing something fully or safely. But I suppose just the nature of it being dangerous, you're never going to eliminate that that risk. I'm sort of playing devil's advocate because I'm thinking if I were hearing this, this is what I would be thinking. Um, and I wonder with that one, because we don't know that many details about why it happened. Like, it's yeah, it's it's awful. I suppose like what's the what's the window doing there and and stuff like that. Yeah, well, the scene is her coming out of a building and then um, down a road, I guess, or down mm. a ramp. But um, from what I understand, and we don't have loads of details because it was settled out of court. But from what I understand, she then went um, a little further down another ramp and then into a nearby window and there were reports of her as well trying to like dodge pedestrians i don't know it's all there's loads of different versions of this so it's hard to know exactly what's truthful but like why were those pedestrians there why was the window there yeah all of the there's loads of questions about it that are kind Mm. of unanswered um i also think yeah with stunt doubles they definitely know there's a risk involved but no one goes to work thinking they're gonna die do they so I think when that all gets seriously injured. I don't know. I'd, I'd maybe argue that a stunt double does. I don't know. I don't, I would argue that they probably don't. I, I don't, don't know. Well, like, or a motorbike rider, say someone, someone's competing in a dangerous sport. Mm. Like they go every day knowing that something might happen. But they probably also think they have the skill sets that they can rely on to make sure that doesn't happen. Yeah, to within a degree of accuracy, but I, I'm not sure that they're, like just because it happens, it happens all the time. It, it has, it carries risk with it. So, I think that's the difference with this, though. Like when people compete in sport, um, like in Formula One, for example, like it's often a, um, it's often a mechanical failure that will cause the crash, and like you don't get drivers suing the um, the team because they kind of accept that inherent risk. But I think with a film, that's a slightly different area, isn't it? Because you've got some more risk assessing it. And there's an agreement that, I don't know, I suppose in sport, the accident could happen and everybody accepts that that could happen Mm -hmm. and that's all part of the risk. 
when it's stunts for films, it's like the accident shouldn't happen, really. Like, we should be avoiding that. Yeah. So I suppose I'm, I'm arguing myself that it's like a, an unfair comparison. <laughs> but, um, yeah, just the interesting one, because she was, like you say, she was a competitor. Mm. And then they asked her to do this job. Mm. And does she, like you said, there's a different skill set. Does she have the requisite skill set mm. to, to do that job? And the mindset of, like... I shouldn't be risking anything here. Yeah. Yeah. And the fact is that we'll never, we'll never know. Mm. But I do think there's something in that, um, that different skill sets. But also there were many reports of her being the best person for the job. Mm. So how much truth do you take from that? I don't know. But I do think that's important. Like she may well have been the best person for the job. As I said earlier, everyone has to start somewhere. So maybe that's part of it. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. I, the, other, the other thing I was thinking when you were saying all that was um, that there was an era, like during the 90s, two, early 2000s, when like, everything went CGI. Mm-hmm. And there was like this kind of, ever since Terminator 2, basically, like stunts were just like, well, we'll just CGI it because we had all this amazing technology. Yeah, I actually did think, why are stunts still happening? Like, I think in mm. my head, I kind of, thought that they were still CGI'd a lot of the time. I think they've gone back, like, and I don't know whether there would have been a, like, film people, geeks would would know this, but there was probably a tipping point. I always feel like the James Bond films are, are a good one for that because they always have this ridiculous opening scene and they always do it. Like, they actually, and, and it's that old thing of, like, in, in all kind of art and production, if you want it to look or sound real, mm. do the thing itself and it will look real. Like, if you try and kind of mimic it in post, it's all, always going to look a little bit, post-production maybe. Um, but yeah, if you want it to actually look like that motorbike is jumping off the building, then jump a motorbike off the building, so find someone who's willing to do it and do it as safely yeah, as you can. Yeah, and they're, they're making like the best quality product they can, aren't they? And they've got yeah. so much money. If they can find people literally lining up mm, to come and do that, which they, they, would be. they will yeah. do that, yeah. And I think there's maybe been a push towards that in the last, I'd say, 10, 15 years. You get more films that are just actually where possible like doing the the stunt itself because mm. that's how it's going to look most real and maybe they think they've got better at risk assessing it or making it safer or something but it just th- it must happen a lot more than they yeah, think yeah I think so um, I also think that like there are certain things with these films in particular so the fact that um, I don't think I've mentioned this but Joy wasn't wearing a helmet because the character she's playing, Domino, yeah. is supposed to be super lucky. So um, she oh, would yeah, never, yeah, 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 so she would never put a helmet on. So that's another thing that is that increases your risk massively. Mm. But for the character, it's right. So we take the helmet off. We decrease the safety of our stunt performer so we can increase the truthfulness to the film. And, you know, I'm a big fan of truth in film, in TV, mm. whatever it might be. I think that's really important, but could could you have somehow worked it in to give her a helmet? Probably. And is that really important? Probably, I think. Yeah, it's that, yeah, that, there's the line, isn't it? Mm. Like how important is that, is that to the integrity of the, of the film, of the piece of art? Mm. And if it goes beyond that, I don't know, yeah. I just think, because, you know, because I've, I've, I've done a lot of mountain biking over the years and like there's a lot of filmmaking in that and there's a lot of inherent risk and people have, I've had a horrendous accident. Everyone's had horrendous accidents 
doing that sort of thing. And um, that's in making films, making media, art, if you like, for people to watch. Yeah. And so they're not even competing. Um, but there's, a, I don't know, there is a difference to that. Like, they're usually on their own, I think, is the important thing. Like, they've been involved in building whatever um, feature it is that they've built that they're going to ride off. And um, then they're the only ones riding it. So they're, they're kind of on their own in that decision. The fact that mm. someone's got a camera there, they're not culpable for mm. it at all. But this is a film and I don't know, it's more, it's it's a bigger organisation. It's a bigger, it's like a big corporation, isn't it? And there'll be multiple people involved and there'll be someone ultimately signing off on the safety yeah. of that. Um, and that's where it gets, yeah, it gets really tricky, doesn't it? Yeah, who is who is responsible for that? We spoke about in um, Olivia's story earlier about everyone pointing fingers at each other and mm. taking out the fact that they ridiculously pointed, tried to point the finger at Olivia. Um, they also tried to point the finger at the director or at the film production company rather than themselves operating the SU- yeah. the Mercedes SUV. Um, yeah, it's hard to know who's responsible, and I think that a lot of time needs to be taken and research needs to be done into into that process. I don't know what the process is. Maybe there are those things in place, but they're obviously not working. If Mm. they have those things in place where there's one person at the top who signs absolutely everything off and makes sure everything is is as it should be and risk assessed. Um, If there's lots of different people, then things are going to get lost in translation, Mm. like in Olivia's story, for example. Yeah, yeah. His is really unusual because... I mean, it's almost certain that someone did something wrong mm-hmm. and she's in exactly the same place that she's been in two times before, three times before on every run. So she's not doing anything wrong. That's no different. And I think, yeah, this is maybe the, the crucial point because provided she does exactly what's been planned, at exactly the speed that's been planned, and there's another variable, that's no different from an actor walking out of a building and a piano falling on their head. Mm. Like that's no, there's no difference in in that because the actor's not doing something inherently dangerous. Mm. And although Olivia was doing something inherently dangerous, she was doing it within the agreed parameters to make that situation safe that had been signed off. The fact that something else happened, that something else could have been anything. It could have been a failure on the bike. It could have been the SUV swerved out of mm. control or something. It was point is it was a, it was a variable beyond her control, and it was a variable that was somebody else's yeah, was in somebody else's control. Yeah. yeah. So, in terms of um, sort of what what came next um, for Joy's case, the production company TCF Vancouver Productions were issued with a two hundred ninety thousand dollar fine after WorkSafe BC identified five violations of the Workers' Compensation Act. So that is separate to the amount that Joy's family got. Um, WorkSafe BC stated to Deadline, quote, the primary purpose of an administrative penalty is to motivate the employer receiving the penalty and other employers to comply with occupational health and safety requirements and to keep their workplaces safe, unquote. So the... The fact that that happened, it kind of hopefully pushes our point forward a little bit about hoping to change things and make people more accountable for their actions. Mm. Um, Although $290,000 is not very much when you think about someone's life's been lost. Yeah. Um, And Deadpool 2 was dedicated to joy as well.
That's the end. And that concludes that the concludes um, this episode. I yeah, it's it's just really interesting because you find yourself like oh I do anyway. I just find myself like thinking of every angle mm. and thinking there there'll be people out there thinking yeah, but these are stunt doubles. Like they're going into this because it's dangerous, and you know what's to say it's not their fault. I don't subscribe to that, but like I I think that's what people are going to be thinking. But I think this is so different the, to a, a different another situation because we do, we want to watch those films and and we we really enjoy the art and we probably don't realise how much more we're enjoying it because of the risk involved and so we wouldn't but we wouldn't want people to die would mm-hmm. we we wouldn't want people to have to actually risk their lives I think that's a stretch too far and if there is something if there is something available. Um, that makes like if the I suppose the the fundamental point is so could something have been done differently to prevent that that was mm-hmm. beyond the individual's control like the victim's control could something have been put in place it's 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 an interesting point it's a bit like um, it's it's the same ish in in healthcare they have um, like never never ever events and they're and they're ironically called never ever events because they shouldn't happen. But the fact that you've had to give them a name suggests that they like already what? happen. Well, um, something that is not part of the procedure that you're supposed to be performing and then causes either very serious life-changing harm or death. Mm. And examples of that are um, is um, patients uh, who have surgery sometimes get like left in them um, little piece of gauze or a little mm. piece or something something as part of the procedure um which then goes on to infect like an internal organ and then they get sepsis and they don't know why because like they can't work out why soon enough um and then they end up dying and the wow. way they describe that when they find the cause of death and they do the um postmortem and everything um autopsy what's the difference between an autopsy and a postmortem english and american i think oh right okay um i think yeah, when they when they um, cut them open and find out, and they say cause of death was, they say the patient retained something, like as if it's the patient's fault. <laughs> but it's obviously not. That's not what they're saying. But that's what that's the that's yeah. the terminology they use. <laughs> they didn't like like rip themselves <laughs> open and take it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Spit it out. Like, well, if you're gonna lie there. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I always find that quite funny. But yeah, they're not. Um, I think the point is they're um that they they they're described as never ever events. There's not some sort of accepted risk. Mm. Like there's a culture of well, this is going to happen because it's it carries a, a risk of death. And when you um, consent for surgery, you sign a form that says there's a five percent chance or two percent chance that I'll die, one percent chance, whatever it is. And they explain that very clearly to you. Um, if that actually happens, then there's an inquest and then there's a decision as to whether that was part of the just, you know, inherent risk of the procedure or whether someone did something wrong. And I think that's the difference with these. Like, if you're going to have, say, a patient goes to have a surgical procedure, they've signed that, they've chosen to have it, no one's forcing them to have it. They're just saying this is, I mean, it's, it's a bit of a, no-brainer, it's like this or you die, but that no one, no one's saying you have to have this, so you consent to it. Um, 
but you're um you're not responsible if someone does something wrong because you're then in the hands of those and i and i suppose the the comparison there is the stunt doubles like they're going to work and they're saying yes i'm i'm happy to do this and they probably sign a waiver and they probably sign something saying if i make a mistake the company's not responsible because that's fair enough um but then if something does go wrong that's beyond their control that yeah that should be dealt with accordingly i think that's yeah. that's a different thing altogether yeah, I totally agree. I think everyone should have the right, no matter what your job is, even mm. if you're stuntable, everyone should have the right to go to work and feel safe. Even if you're doing a really, um, quote, risky job, it's not actually risky if everything is mathemati- mathematically thought about yeah. and um, you have the experience and the skill sets. It shouldn't be actually risky to yeah, the point yeah. where your life is at stake, mm. I don't think. Yeah, yeah, I know a couple of tree surgeons and they've got obviously incredibly risky jobs. I do, I do. I, do, I, know, I, know. <laughs> I always just, no, I find the words tree surgeons just so funny. Like they're there with their masks on operating on them. <laughs> Scalpel. <laughs> yeah. I, they'd be really offended by that. Oh, I know. Sorry just, to all our tree all surgeons the, out there. The ones in our Patreon <laughs> population. Oh gosh! If any one of our four patrons is a tree surgeon, I am sorry. Yeah, you left them on your back. They'll be on your door. Yeah. <laughs> Red Rum is written and presented by Grace Cordell. It's produced by Russ Clark and Grace Cordell. Sound design by Russ Clark with additional music by Benjamin James.